Welcome to Breakpoint Podcast, breaking down the world of tennis with your hosts, Val Fabo and Joel Frucci. The second major of the year is upon us and it is red dirt in between our fingertips and our toes because it is the clay Grand Slam of Roland Garros in the French capital of Paris and we are turning our attention to that right now on Breakpoint Podcast. Val Febo here with you. Very, very keen for our Roland Garros preview show because when Grand Slam time comes around, it's like Christmas and joining me to unwrap our Christmas gifts is Joel Frucci. Joel, how are you? Oui, oui. Hello, Val. How you going? I've got to take a wicked yes, Joel. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I'm watching Roland Garros as we record, watching Alex Diminor and Ilya Ivashka. Um, life is good. We've got some Grand Slams. We've got some matches. It's uh, in a reasonable time zone for us, mm. at least uh, at least the, um, the, the day session. So life's good. Talking to you. Yep. Having fun? Let's go. Yep, exactly right. And it is a good time time zone. And this is this is probably the most bizarre Roland Garros that I can remember, Joel. You know, ever since I started following tennis, one thing has remained a constant, and that's Rafael Nadal being the favourite. Yeah. And he's not there. Um, you know, the, the injury that, that has plagued him, the hip um, uh, has just, yeah, has sent him... Uh, sent him into damage control at the moment in terms of his body, and he's just said, you know what, next year is probably going to be my last. I'm taking this the rest of 2023 off with the possibility of playing the Davis Cup finals at the end of the year. But he will say goodbye and have a swan song in 2024, and I feel like he wants to play the Olympics at Roland Garros, the site where he has won 14 Grand Slam titles. He'd want to go there one more time and play it fully fit. The Australian Open, of course, Wimbledon, um, the U.S. Open, he's won all of those on two or more occasions. Um, but this this is bizarre, considering he is the defending champion. He is Roland Garros, in a sense, and yeah. he's not there at the moment. And it, it's it's bizarre because there's another Spaniard that is the favourite, and that's Carlos Alcaraz. He's the top seed. But you look at the draw, and it, it feels a little bit empty, doesn't it? There's no that impending sense of doom for the other 127 males, is there? Yeah, it does feel a little bit strange, and I'm, I'm I mean, I'm sure the other men are uh, relieved that he's he's not playing. Well, Djokovic, um, Djokovic just said that. Oh yeah, yeah, and he'd be right. <laughs> and if Novak's saying that, then uh, you can only imagine what the rest of them are, are thinking. But um, yeah, I mean, look, court Philippe Chatrier is his castle, really, and the throne's empty. So um, yeah, it, it is a little bit weird. I mean, we know that he's basically owned the event for well, the best part of our our lifetime, at least, really for pretty much two decades. Um, so it's a bit of a strange feeling. And, um, you know, if Rafa had applied, I've got to say probably, and I'm pretty sure I've said this on a previous show, that if he plays, you've almost just got to pick him as as your favourite just because of the history. And we know what he can do at the French Open, but he's not there and it's up for grabs. And, um, you know, it almost makes me wonder um, that coupled with sort of some of, the, some of the leading tournaments that, you know, maybe there could be, um, a, a bit of a surprise result in keeping with, you know, a bit of a, a raffleous, strange French Open um, that maybe someone like Daniel Medvedev, who, as we know, is not a huge fan of clay, but he's had a fantastic clay season. So when you look at it, it's uh, I'm just I'm just thinking that we might see something paranormal going on here. Clayvedev rising. Clayvedev, yes. Yep. Been getting around a bit on. 
tennis Twitter, tennis Reddit, tennis it, everything. It has. And look, I'm I'm starting to believe. I am starting to believe. Because if you look at what he has put together on the mainly just in Rome, but Rome is the best the best indication that we're going to get about how proceedings at Roland Garros will play out and how everything will go. And Madrid is played at altitude. Monte Carlo is the first major event on clay, so people are still sort of honing their skills. Draws aren't always full or or aren't at capacity, I guess, in terms of the top seeds. But Rome has such a similar climate. The altitude is only 14 metres difference with uh, with Paris. The climate is genu- generally the same in terms of weather and sunshine and yep. all of those sorts of things. So... Rome is the best way or the best indication or the prelude to the French always or pretty much. Best of three sets doesn't generally help. But Medvedev was able to overcome the likes of Zverev, who has pushed him in each of their two encounters before that. Medvedev handled him in straight. Then he beat Stefano Tsitsipas in straight sets in their spiteful rivalry and did the dance to prove it after the in a repeat or, or sorry reciprocal of what happened in Cincinnati last year Tsitsipas did a dance so Medvedev did one too i love it i love the <laughs> bitter, so good. the bitterness between the two rivals and then yeah. he comes up against a red hot Holger Rune who defeats Novak Djokovic in the quarterfinals gets over the top of um of Djokovic again for the second straight time at a Masters 1000 second straight time in their head to head and Medvedev wins it in straight sets that is massive for someone that loathes clay like he does to overcome these hurdles and players and win this tournament, his first clay court tournament, mind you, and it's the Rome Masters. I think he goes into Roland Garros with nothing to lose because he doesn't have the points to defend like he has previously um, yeah. at other slams. But also, the the pressure's off. No one's A lot of people are still expecting your Novaks and your Alcarazes to overcome him. But the thing is, Stefanos, Carlos and Novak are all on the top side of the draw. Holger Runa and Yannick Sinner are in the bottom half with him. But he'd be breathing a sigh of relief and licking his lips to a point where he might be a chance here, Daniel. Yeah, well, I think with the draw that he's got, um, yes, it is in some respects a bit of a free hit, but... But also with the, the draw that he does have, I think he'll be really eyeing off the, the final uh, at least. So, yeah, with, with that in mind, I'm not sure he'll be sort of looking at it as a as a free hit as such, but it kind of is. It kind of is because obviously we know that history on clay. Um, and, you know, for, I mean, for me, it's really the next step for him. Um, we know what he can do on, on hard court, on grass, um, but I think... When the time comes for Daniil Medvedev to, you know, create his own legacy and it gets to the end of his career, um, I think to remember him in that bracket of, you know, really, really memorable, great players, he's going to be able to do it on, on every surface. So hopefully this is the start of something. I hope so too, because it makes him that 11-month threat. The tour goes for 11 months yeah. and he would be a threat in every single one of those. And I think winning Rome probably does put him in that category, but he needs to make a big run at Roland Garros. It's it, he does. that and, and also Wimbledon. He's won grass court titles before, but he's never he's never really made that run at the All England Club. So I think these are the two tournaments that he would have earmarked this year to say, okay, 
I want to ensure that I at least get to the semifinals at one of them. And then in 2024, I've achieved both of them. Just to make sure that he puts that ominous pressure on everybody. He looks back. He's won five um, five titles this year. Has only lost three times since the Australian Open, which is mightily impressive. It includes wins over um, over Novak, Yannick Sinner. Alcaraz was really the only one that's, that's destroyed him in that Indian Wells final. But he looks in fine form. And his opening match against Thiago Sabothville is tricky. Then either Quinton Alice or Guido Paya, both very good on a clay court second. Then it could be Nishioka, Wolf, Purcell, or Thompson in round three. So you think that the draw opens up for him to at least get to a fourth round yeah. where it could be Demonor, Draper, Team, or Chorich. That's tough. If you come up against Borna Chorich, who's in ripping form, um, th- that might make things really difficult. But I reckon his draw is is fairly open here. Until yeah, you get to the quarters. Favorable. Yeah, where Sinner would meet in the quarters, you would think. Um, Dimitrov's there, but I think it's got to be Sinner, the way he's playing. Then Rude or Runa, I reckon he'd be licking his lips, Daniel. So it's it's a really favorable draw from his point of view. But then you look at the top half, and three of the four players that can end up as number one at the end of Roland Garros are in this are in this top half of the draw. Alcaraz projected to play Stefano Tsitsipas in the quarterfinals, should they both get there. Tsitsipas already through to the second round. Tough, gritty win against Yuri Vesely last night. Came back from 3-6 uh, down in the fourth set tiebreaker to take it in four. Tough, gritty win. He'd be happy to get through. But are there question marks over Steph and where he sits? Because you look at January... He was one win off becoming yeah. the world number one. And he's close again. He's remained in that frame. But I feel as though he's 10 times further off here than he was at Melbourne Park. Yeah, look, it's an interesting one, I think, Val, with Steph. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm just I'm, – I'm a little bit indifferent to where he's at, to be honest. Um I guess maybe it's just because he's been building for a little while and, and he's really at the age now where he should kind of be, be peaking. And it still could happen for him. Um, but, yeah, look, I'm, I'm a little bit with you that, um, yeah, it's just, I don't know, I just, I just can't be convinced by what he's produced so far. Um, but, you know, granted, he's, he's done it before at, at Roland Garros. Not to say that he, of course, he didn't win it, but um, made the final. Um and couldn't quite get over the line in in the end. Um, so look, I'm not going to write him off. Um, and I'm ho- really hoping he can he can sort of push deep. Um, into this tournament, I'd be really hoping that he can he can reach the semis, maybe make a case for the final. Whether he'll get there, I'm I'm not sure. I I don't think he will. Um, but look, I'm not going to write him off. But at the same time, I, I wouldn't really back him in with a great deal of confidence. Well, I'm not backing him in against against a Carlos or a Novak. No. And and we saw what Novak did to him at the Australian Open. He cut him open completely. And if you look at the the matchup against um against Alcaraz this year, they met in the uh, in the Barcelona final and Alcaraz got the job done 6-3, 6-4 quite easily too, I might add. It was it was one way traffic pretty much from the beginning. So if they come up against each other, Alcaraz just matches up so well against Steph and I think Novak's mm. got that mental edge over him. And I think Alcaraz, to a certain extent, does too. Just maybe not at a slam. Yeah. But 
yeah, I, I think Steph has slipped well down in the pecking order. And a year ago, I probably would have had Tsitsipas as the third favourite behind Rafa and Novak to win Roland Garros. And maybe second, considering Novak and Rafa were in the same quarter last year. So, yeah, this is... um. This is interesting how this how this pans out for him, but I think the semi-final is what we're all licking our lips for. They met in Madrid last year. It was a three-and-a-half-hour epic, and if we see Djokovic and Alcaraz again at a slam for the first time, I think it is billed to be one of the classic encounters. Djokovic, yeah, the no Australian doubt. Open champ against Alcaraz, the young bull who's looking for that French Open crown. He's been touted as the next Rafa, the right-handed Rafa, he's already won a slam before his 20th birthday. He's the world number one, took Djokovic's mantle off him. How do you see that playing out? And I know we haven't seen them yet this this tournament, but how do you see it playing out? Djokovic hasn't looked right. Alcaraz suffered a shot loss in uh, in Rome. But yeah. where do we see things going with, with that contest? So for me at the moment, I, I would say Alcaraz is probably the favourite. Well, yeah, it's it's a really fascinating one, and um, yeah, it's a matchup that I would love to see um, at at this event, Val. But um, I've got to say, I disagree. Actually, I, I probably going into it, I would probably be looking at Novak. Yep. Um, and you know, the the reason for that, and I say that, and we say that he knows how to get it done when it matters. So does Carlos. I mean, he's he's proven it. So we, mm. we can't say that you know Carlos needs to you know learn how to win the big matches because he's already doing that and he has been doing that for a long time he's well beyond his years but um just there's just an aura about Novak yeah. that just when he when he steps onto the court in those big matches you just expect him to get it done and to to find a way um and it's I just find it incredibly hard to back against him even if someone like Carlos or you know whether it's Daniel Medvedev or whoever it is is in the the form of their lives. Uh, he's he's someone that I think you could really put a lot of faith in. Um, and obviously, there are a lot of people that are that way inclined. Um, but yeah, um, just yeah, he's yeah, he just knows how to do it when it matters. Uh, and and he does one hundred percent. And I think that Roland Garros. Th- this is a chance for him as well to make even more history in his career to become a man that has won each major on three occasions, which is massive in this game of things. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm not sure. What does Djokovic do, though? There's a lot of queries about where he's at at the moment because he hasn't really performed to the standard that we know of him since that Australian Open final. Hasn't won a title since Melbourne Park. Lost to Medvedev in Dubai. Didn't play... Mm in um, Indian Wells and Miami. And then his clay court season has been far from perfect and, you know, losing losing here and there to, to various players. And one of those, Dusan Lajevic, um, that was in um, in Banja Luka and then also losing in, um, in Rome as well to Holger Runa. We don't know. And Rome is also where he plays his best tennis. He's won it six times before. So... Yeah, there's a big question mark on where Novak's at, and that's the only reason why I say that Alcaraz is the favourite, because we've had more of a sample size of him. But then mm. again, you've got Novak going for history, aiming to get the number one spot back. But then again, does he say, all right, well, I haven't lost on Wimbledon centre court since 2016. 
Um, you know, do I put all my eggs in that basket? Equal Rogers record there with eight. Um, you know, what does he do? But I, I tend to lean towards he's going to throw everything at Roland Garros. And when Rafa's not there, he's going to say, no, I'm the king now. Yeah, and I completely agree. I mean, there's really no reason that that he he shouldn't be doing that, or the, that he that he wouldn't be doing that. And you know, we talk about uh, you know players wanting to leave a legacy of being an all-court player and but being brilliant on on all surfaces. That's really what Novak is. I mean, the only reason that he probably hasn't won more French Open titles is because of Rafa, really. So um, yeah, look, I don't think there'll be any question that he'll uh, he'll have an almighty dig at at Roland Garros. Yeah, I think so, and and he's he's a guy that he's just so damn competitive, and in any match that he plays, you just cannot rule him out. So, yeah, really, I, I even though we haven't had the sample size, I think with Novak, his track record speaks for itself. And then we get to to Carlitos. He's a bull. He's ready. He's yep. chomping at the bit to get out there and, and push for this maiden Roland Garros title. His season has been up and down, though, because he started with a bang. He's won four titles this season already uh, in Buenos Aires, in Indian Wells, in Madrid, in Barcelona. But it's such a it's such a bizarre one because that loss to Fabian Marochan has thrown me for six because where the hell <laughs> did that come from? <laughs> yeah. Where did it come from? It was so bizarre. So, yeah, uh, look, I still think, for me, he's the favourite to win this tournament. I, He's just, he's unbelievable. The way that he plays, the way that he moves, his shot making, everything's extraordinary about him. And on clay, he, he's a guy that's grown up on the surface. It's where he had his, his initial start on the tour. It's the surface he took his maiden win on. And I think that we're going to be, we're going to see something special from him because this is his first grand slam of the year. Let's not forget. He didn't play the Australian open Joel. He yeah. forwent ranking points and a lot of ranking points at the Australian open and also at the United cup that he didn't play. So I'm really excited to see him here and, and seeing what he can do. So yeah, Carlos, I think is the big one for me. Then you've got Casper Ruud has been so out of form considering where he was last year. Yeah. It's kind of sad actually. It to is. Be honest. Well, he was the like, just the fact that he, he got him up to the he got himself up to the position that he found himself in and it's kind of all come apart a little bit this year. <laughs> well, it has and let's not forget Casper Ruud was two sets away from becoming the world number 1 last year. And yeah. we said it at the time admittedly that we never thought that he would get close again. We we said that the opportunity in that US Open final was was there for him then with Alcaraz going to take the mantle eventually and Djokovic and Rafa continuously pushing Rafa not so much now, but Djokovic definitely. So yeah, I'm I'm a little bit concerned about where Rude is and, and there's been a lot of talk about him having that postseason hangover and, you know, going and travelling with Nadal for for his academy and foundation. Um, yeah. and playing across South America, which if your idol asks you to do that, of course you're going to say yes, 100%. Get that exposure, you know, and, mm. and you know, go and hang out with Rafa. I would do the same. I don't blame him for doing that. But probably now, once in a lifetime, yeah. Exactly. And now, and well, it's probably proving to be with where Rafa is. So where to now for Kaspar? It's it's a massive tournament for him because he's got it. Now he's got to just start defending points. 
he could drop very, very low in the rankings if he goes out early at Roland Garros. So he's got a lot of work to do to get himself back to that final because he's got Runa in the quarter and then Medvedev in a semi or Sinner. So uh, it's it, it's panic stations, I think. Yeah, it is a little bit. Um, look, you certainly wouldn't back him, but the good thing for him is... Um, well, he's still he's still the fourth seed at, at this event, and obviously it's his strongest surface. So, I mean, you'd hope that he can make a bit of a bit of a charge here. But I mean, if you look at some sort of the the first little bracket of part of the draw that he's in, and you, know, you look at some of the names there, it, you know, it might not be all easy for him necessarily. Necessarily, Aliasima in, in the first round, not a not an easy opponent, a bit of a bit of a tricky one potentially. Alexander Bublik, um, Botic van der Zandschlup, so. Look, there are some interesting names there. I mean, realistically, you'd probably back him in to, to win all of those, even after I just said you wouldn't back him. But against those names, I would probably back him. Um, but, uh, yeah, look, going a bit further than that, yeah, I'm, I'm not so sure. He hasn't, as, you, as you've as already said, Val, hasn't set the world on fire. But, yeah, look, I mean, I hope he can do something. I hope he can do something because it'd be a real shame, um, excuse me, if he just sort of withered away for the rest of this season after what he did last year. Yeah, 100% agree. And um, other results so far from Roland Garros. Hubert Herkash over David Goffin in five sets. Karen Khashinov from two sets to love down against Konstant Lestien in uh, five sets, winning that one. Thanasi Kokonakis winning his first match at Roland Garros since May 28, 2015. It was May 28 when he got the win again yesterday over Dan Evans, the 20th seed, won 4-4-4. Four, four, and four. Eight years to the day since his two sets to love comeback over Bernard Tomic in the second round of 2015. A lot has happened since then, Joel, and um, we yeah. were we were still back in second year uni when uh, Thanasi pulled that one off. So yeah, <laughs> it's it's an amazing result for him to get through. Um, ben Shelton gone, lost to Lorenzo Sonigo in a really tough first round contest. Andre Rublev also through. Um, and then if we look at some of the other main matches in the opening round now. Uh, Kokonakis could actually come up against the champion of the year the last time he won, Stan Wawrinka, in the second round. He's taking on Albert Ramos Vinulas as we speak. Uh, they've just started one love in favor of uh, of Stan on serve. Um, and then you look at Arthur Fies against Alejandro Davidovich Fokina. That's going to be a tough matchup for the Spaniard. Fies fresh off his maiden title in Lyon last week. Um, and then if you look at uh, further up the draw, John Isner gone, lost to Nuno Borges of Portugal, 7-6 in the fifth. Um, where else are we? Auger Aliasim and Fabio Fornini. That is a dangerous matchup for FAA, who had to pull out of Leon with injury um, just to make sure he was okay um, for Roland Garros. But the 10th seed, that is a tough matchup for him. Jason Kubler got through uh, over Facundo Diaz Acosta in the uh, in the opening round, 6-1 in the fifth. Epic win for him. Cam Norrie against our mate Benoit Pair. Joel? <laughs> Benoit Pair. Oh, Benoit. Took the second set 6-4 after losing the first 5-7. He leads 5-1 in the third. Wow. Could he do it? Could he do it? Who knows? Benoit Pair looking very, very handy. And Luca Pui, this could be the story of Roland Garros. He's he's over 600th uh, in the world. 620. Let me just check this and make sure I've got it right. 675th in the world, Joel. Hasn't won a Grand Slam match since the 2019 US Open. Got through qualifying over Yuri wow. Rodionov 
16756 love crying uh, crowds absolutely losing their mind over Luca Pui the former world number 10 has to play Rodionov again as a lucky loser in the opening round belts him 626463 <laughs> and has the entirety of the grandstand singing Le Marseillais it was spine tingling and it is such a good story and so good to have Luca Pui back who said um, he was at his lowest mental ebb, was turning to alcohol, barely sleeping an hour a night, and he thought his daughter can't see him like this, and he's got himself back on track. Injury was plaguing him, but he's mm-hmm. back, and he's into the second round at Roland Garros, and it is, in my opinion, the story of the tournament, and it's going to be damn hard to beat. Yeah, and good on him too. It's uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a lovely story, and um, yeah, I mean, I think when you you know when you when you mention uh you know the fact that he's a father and uh he was really really driven that uh you know to get sort of get back on his feet in a sense for for his daughter that's yeah that that kind of really adds a and you know another layer to it and um yeah I, I like i really hope he saved that moment on on court when um when the french fans were were singing the national anthem with him it was uh yeah it was a beautiful moment and um, on that as well, a bit of a uh, that's a bit of a precursor for Benoit of the week. So uh, stay tuned. It is, and well, speaking of Benoit of the week, Luca Pui could play Benoit in the second round, and that match has oh, imagine that that has <laughs> sensational written all over it. That one, so I, I cannot wait to see what the crowd uh, what the crowd dishes up there. Plenty more still to come on Breakpoint Podcast. We're going to talk about our predictions for Roland Garros, but after. We talk about the women's singles draw and where we see that playing out right after this on Breakpoint. Follow Breakpoint on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at Breakpoint Podcast. Search us on Facebook and subscribe to the show on your favourite podcast platform. You're listening to Breakpoint Podcast, Val Fevo and Joel Frucci here with you talking all things Roland Garros. Christmas does truly come in May because in amidst the red dirt, we see some gruelling matches, some wonderful contests and, well, an open draw in most fields. Generally hasn't been without with Rafael Nadal being there, but he's not there this year and it's the most open French Open that we have seen in a long time. And for me, Joel, more open on the men's side this year than the women's. Even though Igish Fiontek's had yeah. a little bit of a niggle, I still think she is the out-and-out favourite to take home this title. And and uh, it's gonna t- if she's fully fit, she doesn't lose. I'm that confident in her. I, yeah, I, I just can't see her losing. I, I, I cannot see it happening. Yeah, no, I, I'd agree with that. I don't think there's much more to say, and I think, I think she's earned that, to be honest. I agree. And if you look at the draw, the, uh, the top half for her... Um, I, th- I think you see her take on, there could be a matchup against Victoria Azarenka. Azarenka Andreescu in the first round is unbelievable. But then the fourth round, now this is this is the one. If she gets through this, if it eventuates, Krejcikova against Sviontek. Now Krejcikova ended her winning streak earlier on this year um, and and beat mm. her pretty convincingly. It was a yeah, stunning, and has the weapons to do it again. Yeah, stunning performance. And they are the last two champions of this event, 2020, 2021, and 2022. So this this is the matchup of all matchups, I think, at this tournament. And before the yeah. quarterfinals, mind you, I, I, 
I am so excited for this. But then you've also got, yeah, as I said, Vika, Bianca, um, Kudometeva, Kristina Mladenovic. Uh, she looks like she's about to get knocked out by Kayla Day, but she was in that part of the draw. Madison Keys, uh, you know, she knows how to play on this surface as well. She's a very, very good clay court player. So really, really excited. Coco Goff as well. You know, this is this is tough. And then for a semi-final, Elena Rybakina. Hmm. But yeah. I still, if she's fully fit, I still think it's going to be uh, it's going to be eager. I, I just I, I can't see anybody over overpowering her on this surface. Yeah, well, maybe not on this surface. But having said that, um, I I've got to say I'm really building a lot of faith in Arena Sabalenka at the moment. Yeah. Um. Even even on even on on the clay, um, which you know really sh- shouldn't be the surface that favours her most. Certainly isn't. Um, but look, just the season that she's put together has really given me a lot of belief in her game. And even when she won the Australian Open, I, I didn't quite have that yet. Um, I mean, obviously, it goes a long way when you when you win your first major. Yeah. Um, but yeah, still just wanted to see a little bit more from her. But for, for the way that she's backed that up has been super impressive. And um, to dispatch Marta Kostiuk six three six two in the in the first round, not an easy opponent by any means. No. I actually think that's that's a matchup that if I'm in her shoes, I would would not want to see her name next to mine um, in the first round. But she dealt with her very comfortably. So um, look, I'm. Look, I agree with you that I think Iga has to be an unbackable favourite, really, on on the dirt. But having said that, Arena, I think, is really putting um, a great case for herself forward. Yeah, she certainly is. And and I think the fact that she's fixed her serve up, I think, is really important. And, and that was the biggest thing for her, to be able to serve properly and get through her own service games. And she's done that. She managed to hold a very nervy final game at the Australian Open. And and she's been so convincing throughout the rest of the season, you know, backed that up in the Sunshine Double, played really well. Um, Alina Rybakina managed to get over the top of her there in the Indian Wells final. And um, and I, I think with what Sabalenka has done, I'm equally as impressed with Alina, the Wimbledon champion from last year. Yeah. Hasn't had a hangover at all. She's just continued on this upward trajectory. She should have been in the yep. top 10 last year, but she is making up for lost time and how because she's the fourth seed here and deservedly so. She's probably been the, a top three player this season and her consistency probably has her at second, maybe just ahead of Sabalenka despite Arena winning that Grand Slam. I'm mightily impressed with what she's doing and I, I think with the way that they've, all of them, have backed up their transition from hard to clay. All of them have been so magnificent in how they've handled the change of surface. And all of them have been mightily consistent. Jessica Pagula has played really well in turn as well. Um, Alina Svitolina is coming back. She won a title and her first as a mum last week, or Alina Monfils, we should say. Um, Still goes under (laughs) Svitolina in main draws. And Storm Hunter, I must say, what a win. Maiden Roland Garros win on her eighth attempt um, through qualifying or main mm, draw. An amazing result over Nuria Perez as Diaz. Um, amazing for her getting through 6-4. Oh, sorry, 4-6, 6-2, Camilla Georgie as well. What can she do, Joel? I, I, to me, I see her dispatching. Let's ask Silvio. Yeah, maybe. I, I don't even think he knows anymore. Um, but... <laughs> 
she dispatched Eliza Cornet six three six four. Plays Jesse Pagula next. Pagula killed Danielle Collins six four six two. It's I don't know. I'm I'm really excited to see what happens there because yeah, <laughs> Georgie she can strike a ball. She's won a WTA one thousand before. Um, she she's a genuine chance at possibly at pushing Pagula here. That's a tough matchup. Pavlachenkova against Ludmila Samsonova in the second round. Pavlachenkova overcame Linda Fervatova, 6-2-6-2, the 2021 finalist. She's in some good nick as well on her way back from injury. So this is really exciting how this draw is playing out. Leila Fernandez over the top of Magda Lynette in the opening round. Uh, there's a lot going on, but the big upset, Maria Sakari going down to Karolina Mukova. Now, Mukova a Grand Slam semi-finalist back in 21, beat Ash Barty at the Australian Open. Um, where do you see, like, uh, where do you see Maria at the moment? Because I thought she was a genuine smoky yeah. to go deep here, a real genuine smoky. She's gone out in the opening round. This would be a bitterly disappointing result for her. Oh, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And, yeah, it's interesting that you talk about her as a smoky bell because I feel like we've kind of had her as a smoky in basically every major tournament for... A fair while now, like, you know, she's kind of been in and around a similar ranking for, you know, most of the last sort of year or two. Um, and, you know, I'd almost look at her and Stefanos, actually, funnily enough, in in a bit the same way, that they're kind of just hanging around a little bit, but they're just not doing enough to kind of make the breakthrough or... Um, you know, not, I don't think they're filling people with confidence that they're going to kind of take that next step. I think, um, and you know, we got a bit of a look at, at Maria, a bit of a closer look in um, in in Breakpoint, the Netflix documentary. Um, nice name, by the way. Um, but um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's just, I think she maybe kind of maybe just needs to reassess the way that she goes about it a little bit yep. mentally and. Um, like I, I love the passion that that she shows on court, and you know, obviously a very fierce competitor. That's who she is, and I, you know, I think she should be proud of that, and she shouldn't back away from that. But I think maybe it couldn't hurt for her to potentially just rein it in a little bit. I think it's almost at a point where it's a little bit detrimental the fact that she's showing so much emotion and kind of letting her opponents, um, you know, really get a good look at the kind of mental place that, that she's in. Um, yeah. You know, so I think, look, I've got no problem with her, you know, being a really emotional player. There are obviously a lot of players on both both men's and women's that, that are like that. But I, I just, I think that, I just can't help but think that that is to her detriment, the amount of emotion that, that she shows uh, on court. So, Look, whether she's going to have a look at that and, and change it, I'm, I'm not quite sure. Um, but I, I think she might really need to have a bit of a, a bit of a think about it. I think so, and I think the point you make about her opponent seeing that you know she's visibly uncomfortable mentally, um, you know, I think that would play into their hands. They'd get a little bit more confidence. They'd start walking taller, um, and, and I think that would make them feel that at least their side of the net is comfortable. And when you're playing Maria in that mood, she gets out of that mood. She's very hard to stop and she can make anybody yeah. uncomfortable. But I don't think she does that enough. And she's getting there. But, yeah, I think you're right in that sense. I think she needs to 
um, just shore up her mentality a little bit more. And and I think, you know, a couple of matches at the Australian Open, we saw that as well. And and I think it's a bit of a, I think it's a bit of a worry for her at the moment after a, a, a first round exit at a slam where she has traditionally performed quite well. So disappointing for her. Mukova will take on 2020 semi-finalist Nadia Podoroska um, in the second round. So that's a really exciting prospect. Sarah Arani, um, she's made some deep runs at this event as well. She's through. Still going, Sarah. <laughs> yep, she got over the top of Jill Tiekman. Have you seen her profile photo on the tournament website, Joel? Sarah Arani? Sarah Arani, no, I haven't. It's of I'm, gonna, her. I'm having a look now. I'm on the draw page as we speak. I'm just going to find her. So it's of her wearing wearing a USA soccer team hoodie. Oh, yeah. That's interesting. Which is, yeah, bizarre considering, I don't know, she's probably not sponsored. I don't think she's sponsored by Nike, but there you go. Well done, uh, Sarah. I'm not sure where. It's nice merch. Why yeah. wouldn't you wear it? Well, yeah, it's not bad merch at all. Um, Nike generally do pretty good merch. I'm a bit of a Nike fiend myself. So um, <laughs> anybody at Nike is listening, uh, hit me up. Um, <laughs> um, but no, uh, look, I think this draw has some tantalizing prospects. I think you look at Yelena Ostapenko, the 17 seed. She can pull anything out of a hat at any given time. Marquette von Drusseva, the 2019 finalist, lost to Ash Barty, of course, that year. Sloane Stevens in a battle of, um, of well, I was going to say Grand Slam champions, but I think I'd be giving Karolina Pliskova a bit of a, um, a, bit of a clip behind <laughs> the ears she there. Was. She definitely wishes she was, but Sloane getting over the top of the former world number one, a six love, six four there. So a huge win for the American there as she um, makes her comeback towards the top. I'm so interested to see how this goes because on paper I look at this and say okay this is probably the maybe the best chance we've had in a long time for the top four seeds to go through and actually make the semi-finals and play against yeah. each other and it's something that probably excites me more about the women's game to see some consistency even though I do love seeing a good upset and we love the drama we love not knowing what's going to happen I think seeing that solidarity at the top is a good thing um, because it just shows that the women's game is going in the right direction. It's been so, I'm not going to say so bad, but it's been inconsistent. And sometimes, do you think it's been too inconsistent, Joel? Um, Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I guess that's probably been a real strength of the WTA in a bit of a roundabout way in, in the last little while. Um, but, yeah, I think it's a good thing that there's a bit of a change there. And um, I don't, this is a bit of a big call, but I I think this is – and, it's again, it's very early as well, but I, I think this is – looking at the, at the top end of the WTA at the moment, I think it's just about uh, as close as we're going to get um, to a big four for – Quite a while, I think. If you look at Ego, if you look at Arena, Arena Sabalenka, uh, Alina Rabakina, and Jesse Pagula, I think those four are going to be at the top for for a long, long time. Um, and most of them are still very, very young as well, and have a lot of time to to really kind of foster that that rivalry um, between the four of them. So, you know, I wonder if they can really create something special um, amongst themselves. And there's a really interesting dynamic there because. Um, obviously you've got Ego there who's, you know, kind of the rallier and is the one with probably the most variety. 
Um, but then you've got three really, really, really powerful women who, um, you know, probably have have the level of power that it can be the kryptonite of figure as we've seen. Um, yep. So that's something that really fascinates me. But I, I reckon keep a watch on that one because those four, I can see them really being immovable for, for quite some time from here. Yes, certainly do agree there, Joel. And and I think, you know, you've got, got uh, ladies like Coco Goff and Anjabor that are also going to be around for a very long time. Um, in their own right. So I, yeah. I think the the way that the WTA is going is mightily exciting. And players to come back, of course, Sloan will continue her upward trajectory. Hopefully Bianca Andreescu can just keep herself on court and not be injured. Naomi Osaka, will she return? That's the next, that's the big question. Will she come back after pregnancy? I'm not so sure. Um, you know, mentally, I'm not sure how things how things are for her, we shall see in due course. Um, but yeah, I, I think we're really, I think this is going to be really exciting um, for the WTA and especially leading into Wimbledon where I think the likes of Arena Sabalenka and even Karolina Pliskova, I think she could be a chance of possibly going there and taking that Wimbledon crown. And, and if anybody does deserve a slam out there, it is certainly her. And Jessie Pagula, um, she'll be hunting for her maiden Grand Slam title. And, well, she can certainly do it at Wimbledon. Plenty more still to come on Breakpoint Podcast because we're going to award our Benoit of the Week. And we're also going to give our predictions for Roland Garros, the champions and the runners-up of both the men's and women's draw. Right after this on Breakpoint. Follow Breakpoint on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at Breakpoint Podcast. Search us on Facebook and subscribe to the show on your favourite podcast platform. This is Breakpoint Podcast, Roland Garros edition. So keen for this tournament to continue to get better and better as it always does. We had play on the Sunday. It's something unique that Roland Garros does, round one starting on a Sunday Three days to end the round of 128, but we're already well into day two uh, at the French Open as we speak. Joel, um, really looking forward to hearing your predictions here because it's always it's always an interesting one when we do this right at the start of a fortnight because we're almost never correct. <laughs> no, I can't remember the last time I was correct. It's um, been a fair while. Oh, no, I remember. It was when I said Caroline wasn't accurate when you are going open. <laughs> it was probably then. Well, five, was a while ago. five and a half years ago. I'm sure we've picked one since then. We've done a lot of years and we've picked Rafa to win the French Open. And I reckon generally we've been safe on the money there. But um, who are your predictions for the men's draw, firstly? Who's your champion and who's your runner-up? And the, this could go any which way. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm still, I'm still kind of thinking about this one and... It's probably going to sound like I'm padding a bit because I've got two names in mind, but I'm just not really sure who I'm going to pick to win. Um, yeah, I'm thinking I'm thinking a Medvedev Alcaraz final, but I just I just I'm not sure which way I'm leaning. I'm I'm kind of almost backing Medvedev just because of the clay season that he's had, and I think it would be really cool if he could break through and win a French Open title. But on the other hand, um, I think it'd be a really cool story if Carlos could take out Rafa's title without Rafa. 
um, I don't know. It kind of kind of feels like a, in a sense a bit of a kind of like a bit of a baton pass sort of thing. Yeah, um, uh, and I agree. I, I think so as well. And I reckon. I want to say Medvedev's going to get to the final because he is the meme king of tennis. Yeah, but I think I think we're going to see the first Sinkeraz Grand Slam final here. Oh, okay. Carlos v Sinner. I reckon Yannick has right. primed himself to get there, but I think Carlos is going to win the title. I think Yannick, it's going to be difficult for him if he loses another final, but... I think, yeah, I reckon Yannick is um, Yannick's going to make his maiden Grand Slam final here, and I think Carlos okay. will get the better of Steph and Novak and and get the job done. And naturally, now that we both said Carlos will will probably win the title, um, or you did you say Medvedev? Yeah, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna back Daniil. I'll say right. Daniil. Well, now that we've said Carlos and Daniil, Novak is naturally going to win, um, isn't he? <laughs> probably. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, women's title now. Who's your pick? Yeah, well, um, this one I'm going much more straightforward. Uh, I think it's going to be uh, Iga versus Arena Sabalenka, and I'll stay with Iga to win. I will be so different and agree with you. Um, <laughs> I think Iga, Iga over Arena. I'm tempted to go with Pagula, but I think Arena Sabalenka has the runs on the board. Big win over Marta Kostyuk last night. Ended a little bit frosty, but um, yeah, uh, with the war going on, you can kind of see why with Kostyuk. We're not going to get into that too much, but um, yeah, it's all over Twitter and social media if you want to have a look. Benoit of the week, Joel. Who does it go to this week? Our favourite segment, and you, it's your yes. turn to award it. Yes. Well, we um, we we've mentioned Sabalenka and Kostyuk a bit in the show, and. Well, we just declared that we wouldn't get into it too much. So guess what? We're going to get into it a little bit. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, no, but it's a bit of a mixed Benoit. It's a bit of good, a bit of bad, a bit from column A, a bit from column B. Uh, this week, uh, Benoit of the Week goes to the French Open crowd. So obviously, wonderful moment with Luca Pui uh, and the singing of, of the French Open. That was one of the more romantic things you'll see on, on a tennis court at, at any level. Absolutely beautiful moment. And Really, really wrapped that Luca Pui could enjoy that and really hope he saved it. Um, but also, I, I really was not that impressed with um, the crowd that watched on um, with Arena and Marta Kostiuk and uh, the, the, the booing of Marta Kostiuk for not wanting to shake hands with Arena. And um, look, obviously, you know, we, we like when when players can, you know, come together at the net after a match, regardless of the circumstance, shake hands and, you know, put things to to one side. Um, But I think this is a bit of an exceptional circumstance. And I think Marta Kostjuk's perfectly entitled to to feel the way that she feels about Russian and and Belarusian players. And look, we've spoken about it a little bit, certainly did when um, the, uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine first happened and, you know, the implication that it's had on, on tennis since then, obviously um, the banning of Russian and Belarusian players from Wimbledon, we debated that ad nauseum and it mm. kind of, you know, it's still, it still has an effect on tennis. You know, the, there's the non-displaying of Russian and Belarusian flags, which I think um, has to continue. Um, but yeah, look, I think Marta Kostyuk is perfectly entitled to, to feel that way. Um, and, you know, obviously, 
Russian and Belarusian players, they can't end the war. Um, they they do have the ability to speak out. Acknowledge, it has to be acknowledged that it's a, a very tough circumstance to speak out in, um, you know, given the political, um, I guess, ramifications that uh, are associated potentially with those two nations and their governments. Um, so, you know, understand that they're in a bit of a bind, but... Yeah, I also think it's perfectly reasonable for the Ukrainian players to to really not want to, um, you know, connect with Russian and Belarusian players in that way. And for for Marta to have been booed for the way that she feels about that, I think was really disappointing and really showed a, a lack of empathy. Yeah, that was beautifully said, Joel. And I I agree a hundred percent. I think there was a lack of empathy, but also a high sense of ignorance in a way from the French crowd. And I think. They don't live too far from from what is happening in context of you know where they're situated on the globe, um, and you know we we obviously live very far away from it, but we can understand yeah. exactly why um, exactly why Martha did what she did, and that's her prerogative. If she if she doesn't want to shake hands with the Russian and Belarusian players, then fair enough. That's that's fine. What they're doing to Ukraine is absolutely atrocious, and it needs to stop now. Um, unfortunately, we don't have the pulling power that a lot of, a lot of other people do, yeah. and um, incredible it, that we don't. I know. I'm I'm really disappointed that we don't, but uh, unfortunately, we we have to suffer the consequences for now. But um, yeah, no. Look, I, I think it, it does need to stop. And if Marta Kosyuk doing that in any way does help and shows that you know Ukraine are going to stand and fight, and you know they are going to stand for their right to be free and to and to not be invaded, which is pretty fair in my opinion. It's her prerogative. Yeah. So if she doesn't want to shake hands, she doesn't have to. And the French fans should understand that there's a little bit more than sport um, happening around the world right now. And yes, it might not be a great look to them, but they need to understand where these people are coming from. And, and Marta's words yeah. and were, I never, you know, she said that, or, you know, there's been words that I said I hate her. I never said that I hate Arena Sabalenka, but I don't mm, respect yeah. her. And those words uh, were so, the way that she said it, it just pierced through and was so poignant. And, yeah, um, I thought Marta handled it really well. And, you know, Arena said no hard feelings. That's fine. You know, I, I completely understand why. And if Arena can understand why, then the French crowd should as well. But then you mentioned with what happened with Luca Pui as well. That was just absolutely amazing. The Constant Lestien and Karen Khashinov match, the atmosphere was unreal. So the French crowd can dish up some absolutely woeful scenes, but they can also make a match, What you know, make a match a classic in a way. Yep. So... Well said by you, Joel, and that was a very fitting Benoit, I think. But, uh, look, we're going to catch up throughout the tournament. Really looking forward to Roland Garros continuing to dazzle us from uh, from our sleepy-eyed selves um, because yeah. it is there are going to be a lot of late nights, Joel. So thank you very much for your efforts tonight. No, always a pleasure, mate. Let's watch some tennis. Let's do it. Val Febo and Joel Frugge joining you on Breakpoint Podcast. Remember, you can subscribe on Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. We are there. And we're also on social media, Instagram at Breakpoint Podcast, same as Facebook, and then Twitter as well at Breakpoint Pod. You can follow us and catch up with us all on there. Plenty to come over these two weeks at Roland Garros. We'll catch you next week on Breakpoint Podcast.